Welcome to Backstory. My name is Mia Timpano and I am your fill-in host today, holding down the fort while your regular host, the very wonderful Mel Cranenberg, takes a mini break. And on today's show, we're going to be shining a spotlight on the local independent magazine scene. Yes, there are still magazines out there. I myself am a bit of a print publishing nerd and someone who's worked in the industry pretty much her entire life. You may know me from Frankie Magazine and indeed Triple R's own Trip Magazine. And I can truly say that some of the best, some of the publications we're seeing right now locally are among the most interesting and coolest I've ever seen. But why are we seeing this proliferation of top shelf old school media at this particular time? And perhaps even more intriguingly, how are the people behind these publications making them happen? To help shed some light, we're going to be chatting to three of the people responsible for some very cool publications, co-founder and editor of Australian music publication Swampland, Kimberly Thompson, the co-editor and co-founder of Gusher, a magazine about rock and roll as told by women, Isabella Trimboli, and Matters Journal creative director and editor-in-chief Pino De Mayo. It's a hell of a lineup. So I hope you have time to hang out with me. Let's jump straight into it because I already have my first guest, Kimberly Thompson, right here in the studio. Kimberly, how's how's it going? <laughs> yeah, great. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to have it you. It is a, here. a lineup. What a lineup. Happy Isn't to be it? involved. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> As I said, I'm a bit of a print publishing nerd, so uh, it's uh, it's um, it's like a a dinner party that you, your fantasy dinner party, but uh, specific to the magazine industry. Uh, so Swampland uh, is long form journalism and photography from Australia. Uh, yeah, and specifically about Australian music. It's specifically about Australian music. Now, because it is has this focus on Australian long form journalism, that I'm I'm curious to know why we need long form journalism about music. I mean, uh, from a personal level, I enjoy it, mm-hmm. but why do you think it's it's worth actually creating a print publication in its honour? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good question as to why you would uh, start a print publication now. Um, we've been going for a couple of years, so we started in. 2016 Um, and I think we initially got the idea because uh, there was just a lack of that kind of writing around Um, I can I can I've said this before but I can pinpoint the exact moment that I decided to run with the idea of the publication which was walking into a magazine shop in Melbourne uh, in the city and uh, going up to the music section and just being met with this wall of um, you know magazines have been running for 40, 50 years that were just focusing on bands that were around in that era and there was nothing really uh, about current and local uh, music. They Mm. they wasn't really treated in the same way or um, given the same kind of 
respect, I suppose. Um, and in terms of online stuff too, there was a bit of a lull a couple of years ago. There was a great publication called Mess and Noise, which mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of listeners would um, be aware of, um, that published some really great and detailed things about Australian music. Um, but that wrapped up and then there, there were a few blogs and stuff, but nothing really um, that published long-form detailed um, stuff that would last for a long time. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of just a frustration of not having that stuff to read ourselves. Um, And I was starting to do some writing as well. I think my two interests of music and writing had sort of uh, converged at that point a couple of years ago. And I just wanted to know more about uh, Australian music. Mm. Um, But we couldn't really find... Uh, those kind of outlets so we decided to do it ourselves. I love it. (laughs) That's always the best reason to start something because you need it and so you have to bloody well make it yourself. I think that's why a lot of print publications, independent publications, start. It's from a frustration of not having it. But the print aspect is so interesting and, you know, you talk about the need to pay respect to the culture. I, I feel a little ashamed to say that... It is very rare that I ever read anything long form online for purely physical reasons. Call me an old lady and, you know, I am <laughs> I am rapidly hurtling towards middle age here, but my eyes burn. Mm. They physically yes, burn. burn. Uh-huh. And look, I'm as big of an asshole as anybody else on social media. I'm just scrolling. I'm in a very different mental state. And the medium has been designed in such a way to be consumed at the rate of milliseconds. When you have a beautiful publication like Swampland, you're cut off from all these other distractions and you have the time to sit with a story. So both the writer has really taken the time to lovingly craft a beautiful story and you, the reader, participate with, participate with that story with the same level of love, attention and respect. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the attention is the key word. Um, in this the upcoming issue of Swampland, which we're uh, almost about to go to print with, actually. Woo-hoo. Yeah, we're running some really long stories. So we call ourselves long form and most of the articles are quite lengthy. But I guess the definition of long form is... Um, uh, you know, we run articles of about 2,000 2, words on average, 2,000, 3,000. Um, in this upcoming issue, we have some that uh, are about 5,000 words, which is exciting. Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, obviously the writers have put heaps of time and care into crafting those pieces. So mm. it makes sense that the reader should um, sit there and pay attention to it as opposed yeah. to you know, scrolling through, getting bored halfway it's a, through. It's about creating a moment. You create a moment for yourself to appreciate that story. I wonder what your collaboration process is like with your writers when you are creating those long-form narratives. How do you approach, well, A, what stories you are going to run, what makes something Swampland worthy, and then, once you have decided, then how do you go about deciding how long is this going to be, what is the narrative structure of this going to be? Yeah, in terms of uh, selecting the stories, it happens quite organically, I suppose. Um, When we set out, we didn't really have defined parameters of 
who a Swampland artist was or right. what kind of music we wanted to cover. We definitely, well, actually, yeah, it's sort of a. Um, I'm personally interested in punk music and rock and roll and mm. that kind of stuff, spe- quite specifically. But um, the stories we run are really eclectic um, across genres, uh, which is important, I think, and it reflects people's tastes. Now it would be stupid to run a very narrowly defined uh, set of genres, uh, restrictions, I think. Um, So in terms of selecting stories, it's just really if an artist has an interesting story to tell, if uh, they're making music that has some sort of cultural impact Mm -hmm. at the moment, uh, we also run quite a lot of historical stories. Um, so looking at how Australian music history um, and contemporary music, uh, how the the lineage, I think, is, is also interesting. Um, and we're also interested in an idea of place. So obviously we're based in Melbourne um, and obviously a lot of great music is based in Melbourne, so it would be quite easy to just focus on entirely Melbourne music, but we do try to break out of the Melbourne-Sydney dichotomy a little bit. Um, How do you do that? Uh, we put in, in our pitch call-outs, so writers either uh, pitch us or we approach them um, directly. And I think in previous pitch call-outs we've said um, we're interested in stories outside of mm. outside of Melbourne. Um, so that's kind of how the stories come to us. Uh, but we, yeah, it's pretty loose, really. We don't really have a certain kind of mm. um, certain kind of criteria that we're looking mm. to fill. Um, and then in terms of working with the writers, we do spend a lot of time editing. We go back and forth uh, a lot. Um, and that's important, I think, to the, the craft of writing. It's kind of invisible, you know, to the average reader who hasn't been involved in um, the publishing process might not think about all the invisible work that's behind the finished uh, article on the page, but there is a lot of um, time and energy that goes into crafting the the narrative and making sure it is interesting over 2,000, 3,000 words. So, yeah, that's it. It's an interesting process. Yeah, I can imagine. And you have such incredible writers as well, such a beautiful diversity of writers. Are they, I mean, you know, you have in the, the current issue uh, that people can check out of Swampland, uh, your cover story on Sampa the Great is written by none other than Maxine Benneba-Clark. It's just such a, it's such a beautiful read. I wonder if you have this calibre of writers knocking on your door or whether you entreat writers with an idea that you think might appeal to them? Yeah, in that case, we were very lucky to get Maxine Benneba-Clark um, and we approached her specifically with the idea of interviewing Sampa the Great um, and it resulted in a really uh, a good good match, I think. Um, and a story that I hadn't read before I suppose that's the the key thing that we're looking for in Swampland stories. It's has this story been told before? Um, how could we do it differently? Um, and in terms of profile pieces, I think there's just not enough. Um, there there aren't really enough long profiles of musicians and 
cultural figures mm-hmm. in Australia. So profiles is something that I'm really interested in yeah. personally. Um, but in terms of approaching writers, it's probably um, 60% we approach, 40% is pitches. Mm-hmm. A rough breakdown. You mentioned the importance of capturing profiles. I mean, it's it's so crucial as a, as an historical document. It's so crucial to be talking to people over the course of their career rather than just attempting retrospectives. Obviously, you do provide context with historical pieces as well, but capturing a moment with artists during their trajectory uh, is so valuable and provides effectively a doorway for a reader who perhaps has heard some of these artists' music or or hasn't, but provides a a door into really getting to know them in a way that just isn't possible online. Yeah. You you think so? You think print has that over over digital? I certainly think so. But then I'm I'm taking the time. You know, my couch is at home is the reading zone. You know, I have I have magazines and and I really I really adore just I suppose I like spending time in my imagination as well. And and long form journalism provides that. You know, I you know I physically can see Maxine and and Sampha uh, meeting up in St Kilda and having this conversation. And there's nothing more delightful to me than that. It's a gift. Yeah, uh, we've got. I think I can reveal this now. We've revealed it on social media. Okay. Um, but <laughs> the cover star of our upcoming issue is Baker Boy. Oh, perfect. Yeah. And th- this is a really solid profile piece by um, a journalist called Jack Lattimore. Uh-huh. Um, and it's a similar yeah. thing. It, yeah, it really captures um, this particular moment in time. And I think uh, if people were to read it um, in the future looking back, I think it's going to be a really important historical mm document of where Baker Boy is in his career, Mm. the kind of um, cultural implications um, of his music and I think it is important to document Mm. all that stuff and I don't think it is enough as stuff has moved online. Uh, It's documented kind of incessantly but in a quite a fragmented way so I think maybe that's the value of long form stuff It's to have someone analyse it and capture it in a very considered Way, perhaps? Mm. I'm talking to Kimberly Thompson, uh, editor of Swampland magazine. We're talking about independent print publishing here on Backstory Entrepreneur today. I have one more question for you mm. before we're about to jump on the phone with uh, one of the co editors of Gusher magazine, who's actually a mate of yours as well, Kimberly uh, Isabella. Trimboli. Yeah. Uh, but before we go there, I need to address the, the beautiful aesthetics of Swampland because it has this, this beautiful, there's this icon- iconic colour on every issue, which is this egg yolk yellow. <laughs> yeah. Now, That's a good, a good phrase for it, yeah. I want to know why this colour yellow because it's obviously there's, a, there's an intention there, otherwise you wouldn't use it so consistently. Yeah, I mean, I think we stole it from National Geographic. Hey, <laughs> um, yeah, I can't, I can't claim credit for the design. Uh, we have a designer called Hayden Daniel, who is furiously working away on the current issue at the moment. Um, so he is responsible for the aesthetic. Um, Alan Whedon, the creative director, uh, has a lot to do with the photography, commissioning the photography. Um, so between the two of them, they. Uh, are basically responsible for the the beautiful design. This upcoming issue looks incredible as well. I think it's our best one yet. 
I say that every time. Um, so the yellow, I, I don't really know how it happened. We were looking at, in the initial design uh, stages for the first issue, Hayden was looking at a lot of old Australian um, book covers and mm. posters. Uh, in, I think, the initial design document, he has a copy of the Wake in Fright poster, which has oh, some... Uh, intense yeah, film. In, yeah, intense film and intense design. It's got this, like, red, these cool reds and oranges mm. and, and yellows. It feels like watching that film was like slipping into psychosis. I don't know if that was just... I don't know. Yeah, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So I think that's where the yellow came from, looking at Mm. old 70s um, Australian reference material. Cool. (laughs) I've uh, twisted your arm. Well, not twisted your arm. You've agreed to stick around (laughs) while Isabella's on the line. If you'll have me. (laughs) Absolutely. You are listening to a podcast from Community Radio 3 FM in Melbourne, Australia. Hi there, you're listening to Backstory with your fill-in host, Mia Timpano. Uh, Today we are talking to a number of editors of really cool independent magazines that are being produced here in Australia. Uh, We just heard from Kimberly Thompson from... Am I saying that right? Kimberly Thompson. Thompson. I'm just really aware not to say the P in that. Uh, yeah, you can, you can it say it however you like. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> thank you. Uh, and she's going to be seeking editor of co co founder and editor of Swampland is uh, is is she? We're going to be joined uh, right now by another editor. This uh, is Isabella Trimboli from Gusha Magazine. Uh, rock and roll as told by women. Isabella, can you hear me? Yes. Hey, how are you? Hi. I'm excellent. How are you? Yeah, great. Uh, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on Backstory today. Uh, no Gusha is a print rock music magazine written by women and non-binary people. Uh, it is beautiful, it is cool, it is chock full of really interesting stories uh, and and dynamic photography. It's also, it's like I say, it's very beautiful. It's very beautiful to touch <laughs> and to look at. So uh, congratulations on producing uh, such an awesome publication. Thanks so much. You create Gusha with Juliet Younger. So Juliet is the designer and you two edit the mag together. Yeah. Can you tell me how you guys met? Yeah, um, we met um, through actually like Tumblr. We were in high school. Through Tumblr? Yeah, we liked all the same bands and um, we were in sort of like the same like fandom circles. Cool. um, Yeah, so we're both on Sydney. So yeah, we became friends through that. Yeah, wow. So you're on Tumblr, you're noticing each other on Tumblr and then what did you ask each other out on a real life date or something? Yeah, I think we just bumped into each other in Sydney, um, like going to the same gigs and stuff. When okay. Older, so, yeah. Oh, so just like completely naturally, like you know, making the the online relationship a tangible relationship with. Yeah. yeah, that's 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 really awesome. Tell me about how you guys came up with the idea to produce Gusha. Uh, yeah, um, I guess like both of us are just really sort of disappointed and dissatisfied with sort of the rock music magazines that were out there mm-hmm. at the time when we started a couple of years ago. Um, they were just, like, really, you know, tailored towards men and 
they sort of hash out the same sort of legacy acts, like Issue After Issue, um, and they were mostly sort of written by men as well. Um, and I think a lot of those magazines were imbued with a sort of belief that, like, the golden age of, like, rock and punk, you know, music were in the past, and we sort of wanted to challenge that idea. Mm. I mean, there's no question that we need to shine a spotlight on the untold narratives in music and create a space for people other than uh, cisgender, white, hetero (laughs) males to be telling the story of music. Uh, But why produce a print magazine for this purpose um, as opposed to launching a website, a blog or even an event series, anything that's less time-consuming and and really, like, let's... Truth to tell, producing a magazine is very expensive as well. It's expensive in terms of time, in terms of money. Uh, There's also an emotional cost, the... The mental mm. load of running a magazine uh, is is significant. Why yeah. did you? Why did you? Why were you guys committed to doing a print publication? Yeah, I mean, I guess we wanted to sort of carve out like a physical space um, for sort of women non-binary people in these sort of like you know music magazine spaces, and um, also because you know I don't, we don't really sort of have the resources to run like a website. Like you need like a full staff. You need like to be pumping out like articles day in and day out and one of the biggest things that we sort of focus on at Gusher is like telling like you know really thoughtful long-form music writing that takes like you know months to produce um Mm. and that just seems to like lend itself more to the physical um print um format and how do you guys go about uh picking what stories you're going to run in an issue um, I guess, like, we both sort of just, like, made up and, like, brainstorm about, um, like, sort of what we think is most important right now, but also, like, what are the stories that, like, haven't been told. Um, I think this upcoming issue that we're currently, like, editing and designing is, like, a really good um, sort of mix of both, like, new contemporary artists that are really important to the moment and then also, like, older artists and, like, older stories that, like, haven't been told before. Mm. What are you most excited about in your next issue without giving away too many spoilers, obviously? Um, I mean, I just think that we've sort of, like, yeah, sort of mastered that sort of um, balance between, like, new and old. Um, there's this really great, like, sort of reported pieces, like 5,000 word pieces from, like, um, Brazil and stuff like that, which are really exciting. Um, yeah. Wow. A 5,000 word yeah. piece from Brazil. Yeah, about this... Um, Afro-Brazilian drumming group. Um, it's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> How do you approach... Well, you and, you and Kimberly are both uh, experiencing a similar... I, I, don't, I don't deal with 5,000-word-long stories <laughs> in, my, in my career in, uh, yeah. in print, print media, even, even in, throughout that time. Uh, I, I haven't actually worked with stories of that length. How do you approach... approach uh, defining how long something should be and, and how much space to give something and um, and when something warrants 5,000 words as opposed to 2,000 words? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard to know, but I think if there's, like, a story that has so many elements and complexities, like, for instance, that story, you know, is about Brazil itself and the politics and there's so much that... Um, has to be told through that story like it's obviously going to be longer than say like a you know a profile on like an upcoming band or something Mm. 
it's lovely that you're creating the space as you as you say carving out the physical space to do that where did the name gusher come from um i guess i just thought of like you, you gush over something if you're a fan and you gush over something and it just sort of came from that <laughs> lovely yeah yeah yeah. Um, yeah actually like i thought i came up with it but it actually just means like you're an enthusiastic person Exactly. Well, we're big fans. Yeah. We're big fans of enthusiasts here. Triple R, Triple R is 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 built on enthusiasm. You and Juliet being co-editors. Uh, I mean, I, clearly, it's built. It's a relationship built on friendship. It sounds like a fairly yeah. democratic process mm-hmm. in terms of how you approach it. But are there times when you disagree or want to? tear each other's hair out for any reason <laughs> i mean yeah we're really good friends so we're pretty good i mean we're pretty diplomatic when it comes down to it like we always might have like differences but we sort of work it out in the end <laughs> we've never had any big bust ups or anything <laughs> <laughs> and i know you both of you dj'd at a uh, a gig up in sydney recently it was a body type gig i believe yeah <laughs> So tell me, uh, you know, you, you're doing, you're DJing. You are also, uh, you're also a writer for other publications. Yeah. Uh, your writing's appeared in The Guardian, Noisy, Lifted Brow, to name just a few. Juliet also works. She works full time as a as a music yeah, publicist, she's a I understand. Publicist. Yeah. Yeah. How do how do you, mm, Matt, keep all the the plates spinning? not go insane, make sure the deadlines are met, uh, and yeah. basically manage your life. <laughs> it's really, it's hard, it's hard. Like, really the only time that we can work on the magazine is, like, like outside of work hours, especially on the weekend. Like, now that it's, like, coming down to, like, you know, we're really about to go to print, like, we're spending our weekends just, like, finalising edits and stuff. And um, But this issue, we actually have, like, a contributing editor, from America, which has been really cool, and we also cool. have like a sub editor that we work with. So, yeah. And those, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, and those relationships, I assume, they're primarily online relationships. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so you just you just kind of manage things as as they come up. You don't really have a uh, you don't really have a philosophy or a structure that you work to. You just kind of manage. I mean, we try and, like, have a timeline, but it's, yeah, I'm trying to stick to that, but that's about it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I can relate to that. I applaud you. <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would like to ask you as well, Kimberly, how do, because obvious, yeah. obviously, you know, I mean, you know, editing Swampland, this this is is kind of full-time for you? Oh, no, definitely not full-time. It's not definitely full-time. a side project, um, which I think is the nature of independent publishing which can be stressful but I guess an interesting point to make that we haven't covered yet is that um, the internet has allowed for um, it to be a lot easier to make print publications Mm -hmm. I think you know like we do a lot of well majority of communication is online Um, and you know having tools like Dropbox and Mm. things like this means that I don't know how we would have made it. I don't know how you feel, Isabella. Like, even 10 years ago, I think it would have been a lot harder. So I guess that's a kind of counterintuitive thing that the internet is actually allowing small-scale publications to um, To be created. Yeah. Mm. Would you say that's true, Isabella? Yeah. 
mean, I think that we like have an audience that sort of like is around the world as well. I feel like we would never be able to sort of sort of interact or, or, or like you know, yeah, those sort of people without um, the internet. I'm talking to the editor, the co-editor of Gusha magazine, Isabella Trimboli, over the phone from Sydney and here in the studio. Kimberly Thompson from Swampland magazine and we're discussing what it's what's involved in in running an independent publication and why I'm also interested in the sheer logistics of things in terms of distribution Gusha is literally all over the world you're in some very cool looking stores in Japan in London how are you physically getting the magazine there Isabella um, so I we distribute it ourselves, um, which is very time-consuming, and I definitely think probably for this issue we, we are going to reach out to um, distributors around the world because it's yeah it's a bit logistically hard. It's very expensive through um, the post in Australia, so yeah. And how about you, Kimberly? How do you approach distribution? I think it's probably the hardest part of the whole publishing process to be honest or my least favorite um we distribute our, ourselves as well we're ju- just in australia but um we have quite a few stockists around the country um so that we just approach them directly and uh so it involves you know sending invoices mm. a lot of admin um admin yeah i know which is not my, I hate my admin. favorite yeah that's yeah. been a bit of a learning curve i suppose yeah um you know the editorial stuff is 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 fun um <laughs> but then admin <laughs> spreadsheets uh, doing tax returns that's oh, all t- involved I'll tell you my as trick. well okay what's the trick well okay because <laughs> i've been i've been grappling with this for a really long time in life i'm i've worked I've worked full-time in publishing while also doing... Uh, currently also doing freelance writing. And there's a lot of admin plus life admin. I do all the fun stuff at the start of the day. I do all the crap, boring jobs at the end of the day when I have no more creative energy <laughs> left anyway. So what I'm doing is I'm using the... Like my, I know that my cream, it's first thing in the morning. Mm. So I order my tasks according to what is... what requires the most creative energy what requires the least creative energy. And then I reward myself at the end of the day after doing those boring jobs with something like a, a beautiful dinner or something or just giving myself a hearty pat on the back, <laughs> which I think we can also forget to do when we're, yeah. we're, we're wearing so many hats as, um, yeah. as magazine editors tend to do. That's a good system. I might try that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Free advice. Uh, uh, we're about to be joined here on Backstory on Triple R by the creative director and editor-in-chief of Matters Journal. Uh, His name is Pino DeMaio, and I'm very excited to be chatting to him. Uh, Before uh, I let you two uh, excellent people go, Kimberly from Swampland and Isabella from Gusha, um, any words of advice for anyone out there who's aspiring to launch their own publication, who perhaps is looking at the newsstand and thinking, we need something better. What would be the one piece of advice you would have, Kimberly? Uh, probably just go for it. Um, do a lot of research first and make sure that um, your idea is distinct enough that it could find an ongoing audience. Um, and think about if print is the right way to go. I mean, digital obviously has lots of benefits as well. Um, so maybe your idea might work um, on a digital 
platform. Um, if you think it wouldn't, just do it. And you can talk to me and I'll give you some advice if you oh, like. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Isabella, one piece of advice. Um, yeah, I agree with Kimberly. Like, I think we're sort of seeing sort of this like feeling of like print magazines because they're becoming like more specialised and niche. And I just think like just find like your niche, really. <laughs> Absolutely. Gusher magazine. Next issue is coming out very soon. You can jump onto gushermagazine.com if you want to grab a copy of issue two issue one is sold out but you can still purchase a digital copy swampland swamplandmagazine.co oh testing me yeah swamplandmag.co because I, I don't know why that happened That's or facebook or instagram or facebook or instagram or twitter mm. jump on it free triple r Hi, you are listening to Backstory on Triple R with your fill-in host, Mia Timpano, talking to some of the editors behind local independent magazines. Uh, and it has been truly awesome to speak with uh, some of my... some of the editors of my favourite publications, uh, Swampland and Gusher, but we're not done yet. Pino DeMaio is the visionary behind the very unique Matters Journal, a weekly digital and biannual print publication exploring responsible business, sustainability and impact. Pino, welcome to Backstory. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Mia. Fantastic to be here. I feel like I, I need to understand a little bit more about the, the context of matters because my understanding is that you're you're also heading up this this organization called local peoples a melbourne design studio that believes design can make a positive social difference absolutely yes and you're also you're also the co-founder of assemble an architecture and development company that focuses on affordable small print small footprint living you publish assemble papers you also recently founded uh, a global movement against non-communicable Diseases, NCD free, absolutely. NCD free. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. A couple of years ago now, with my with my uh, with my brother. Um, so yeah, all, all uh, lots of um, fun and exciting um, projects and organisations. Um, you sound like the busiest person I know. There's lots of publishing involved. In there's all lots these. of publishing. Yeah. Why is there so much publishing involved I, in I in, in the, all, all the other things? I don't know where the publishing started. I I think it kind of goes. It goes way back to to high school or even um, even earlier. But yeah, I've I've, um, I've loved publishing, especially once I I really um, you know f- uh, found my love for design, um, which mm. took you know took took a couple of years after um, after high school, um, and um, yeah, I was lucky enough to spend some time um, traveling overseas and and um, editing a small design journal in um, in Belgium called Attic Magazine. Okay. Is it also true, uh, by the way, side note, I'm going to get you to come a little bit closer to your mic because you're, you're, talk- you're yes, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but you, we, we need to, we need to hear you at full volume, Pino. Uh, is it also true that you were the publisher of Colours? Not quite. Not no. quite. Okay. This is, so this is misinformation. Slight, slight misinformation there. Okay. Um, no. So I was um, uh, studying and, and working at um, Fabrica. Um, which is um, sort of a, a research, design research um, uh, 
Institute, I think they call it, and, and it's part of the um, United Colours of Benetton. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Colours magazine is actually published um, by Fabrica. I see. Um, and I worked on uh, a couple of little elements um, while I was while I was working okay. there, but did not did so you, not get all right. to edit. Okay, we have to. Colours. Yeah, you weren't the you weren't like, the head honcho per se. Definitely not. Right. No. Um, but it definitely that was yeah I think that's yeah I think that's definitely a you know a, a quite a quite a strong influence as well because I, I I love Colors magazine it's all it's it, always been one of my favorite magazines and same here it's very very distinct yeah. and uh, look I uh, growing up I I cut uh, my fair share of Colors magazines up and you know wallpapered my bedroom like a, a madman basically uh, just uh, uh, literally surrounding myself. It's just uh, with so, the, the editorial. So, so beautiful. And I think like really, um, I don't know, it's ahead of, ahead of its time. I, I, I feel mm-hmm. like I, I think it's, it's influenced many um, publications since. But, um, yeah, it had that kind of real sort of, um, you know, advocacy type um, flavour to it, I think, which which was, yeah, it's really, really amazing. And, and just, you know, beautiful really beautiful photography as well mm. i'm a huge fan of photography so oh same yeah absolutely bring us into the present day yeah you've, you've just released this the second volume second print sec- edition second of, print edition um, of matters of journal matters. yeah now tell us and 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 give us some context for this why are you publishing this well um i won't say i was bored but i guess it was <laughs> i um, these are all yeah. So matters really um, looks at um, responsible business, sustainability, and impact across um, arts, technology, health, um, design, the environment, um, and food. Um, and I guess they're all sort of interest areas and 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 passions of um, our our design studio um, local peoples. Okay. Um, and. You know, I guess through sort of, you know, researching for, for projects um, and just generally, you know, things that we're interested in, um, you know, we kind of start to starting to, to research around these topics quite frequently and, and um, you know, much the same way that um, I guess Assemble Papers started many moons ago as well. It was like, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe other people would be interested mm. in some of these ideas as well. And like, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could you know, have some great writers, like really sort of, you know, spend some time, um, you know, researching and, and, you know, crafting some beautiful um, stories and, and I guess, yeah, just sort of um, finding out more about, um, you know, great projects and mm. and people and ideas that um, that we also want, wanted to know more about ourselves. In this new issue, you've got some... Fascinating stories. You've got one on Earth ships. What's an Earth ship? An Earth ship is a um, yeah. So th- that Earth ships have have um, been around for um, for a little while. Um, the gentleman's name is Michael or oh, Michael Reynolds, um, and so it's basically a a closed loop um, kind of biosphere. Like you can actually sort of survive. So. It yeah captures rain. There's um, aquaculture, permaculture, um, you know, built into them, um, and they're often. I think he's. 
I think about 5,000 of them have been built mm. over the last uh, sort of 20 or 30 years. Mm. Um, they're, yeah, they're often sort of built from recycled um, materials as well. Um, they have, you know, passive heating and cooling. Um, yeah, so they're, they're sort of a really um, interesting um, type of architecture that's... Self-sustaining model so, totally of living. Totally self-sustaining, yeah. And also a story about consciousness hacking. I love anything to do with consciousness. I love thinking about thinking. That's like a that's that's just something I love to do yeah. when I'm on the tram. Yeah, <laughs> and getting to work. I mean, consciousness hacking um, is is a little bit you know like like everything. There's the there's kind of the scary ends of the of the spectrum with um, uh, sort of uh, it's electro EEG. Um, I can't recall exactly what it stands for, but it's basically um, like light um, electrocution mm. um, of the of the brain, mm. and um, you know, a, sort of the idea is that you can accelerate, um, you know, getting into a, a sort of meditative state mm. um, through technology is one end of the spectrum, and then obviously we have, you know, all sorts of um, yeah, apps like. You know, um, smiling mind and and a headspace, um, which is a, a a bit of a twist on the, um, you know, age old practice of of meditation. Mm. Um, yeah, lots of lots of um, yeah, lots real of brain food. That's what it is. It's a real like it's a real feast for the mind. Uh, Matters Journal. I'm talking to its creative director and editor in chief, Pino de Mayo, in. The, an episode of uh, Backstory that is going to be winding up very shortly. Uh, before I do uh, say goodbye, Pino, I'd love to know about how you approach the design of this publication because it is quite unique. There's this, it's a gatefold for the cover, isn't it? That's a gatefold, isn't it? Yeah, it is, absolutely. I know these terms, I know these, this terminology because I'm a nerd. And uh, and the, the colours throughout, the colours throughout are, I feel are quite gentle. That may be a result of the uh, the paper stock that kind of, I think, absorbed. I'm really showing it off, aren't I? Aren't you? Yeah. I know, because this is... It's, a, it's an uncoated stock. It's uncoated stock, so it's, it kind of soaks up the colour a little bit. So everything is, a, is just a tiny bit, It's it's a tiny bit, not muted's too strong a word, but it's a little bit. It's got a bit of a certain subtlety and certain mood to it, and the colours throughout. I just it feels really nice. I think it you know, feels been a really fan nice. Of uncoated stock. I don't know why. No, I it's it's logical to, to print much. I think sometimes, yeah, I, I like photo. Photos look beautiful on a on a satin or something. Mm, yeah, Might be glossier, but um, I just love the way the. The, the ink sits on uncoated paper. Yeah, and it's it's um kind of a nice handbag size format as we well. We did deliberate over the size quite a lot. Um, we did we did yeah we gave a lot of thought to the size and lots of little uh, prototypes. But um, the size actually um, came from so it's actually from the sheet size, um, oh. and we were aiming um, yeah to have sort of no waste. So it was actually sort of back solved from the from the sheet size so that there wouldn't be any any waste. Necessity is the mother of invention. It, it, it is, absolutely. And and designers, you know, we can't help ourselves, so we're always, <laughs> always fiddling with design and refining yeah. and tweaking and changing. But It's exhi- design is exhilarating. 
and it's and beautiful fun. design is best of all when it's uh, when both form and function are at their best. It's just Come um, together. That's yep. Ten, 10 out of 10. Uh, what is in store for Matters? What can we expect next? Good question. Um, so we're just working on our third issue, um, mm-hmm. which will be, will be launching at, um, at Paul's Festival. Um, oh, fantastic. In, in, uh, uh, February next in year. February next year. I'm really yeah, excited for that. Absolutely. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there's um, a whole bunch of really exciting ideas that... Um, that we're just a sort of commissioning out at the moment, um, and yes, it's uh, we'll probably um, aiming to have all of those um, ready for design by Christmas, which would be amazing. Very exciting um, times, yeah. So yeah, so uh, issue three into next year, we've got some exciting um, partnerships coming up with um, with City of Melbourne as well for Knowledge Week. Um, again and um, transitions film festival, um, so yeah, so lots gonna gonna be a really exciting twenty nineteen. Uh, before I let you go, there's one question I have to ask you, uh, and this is because I just I, I just got this strong impression that you're someone who's who's really quite optimistic and believes. Is am, am I am I right? Maybe I'm not. I right. think I'm I'm a pretty optimistic person yeah yeah I've, I've been told that before definitely you seem to yeah. you, you see uh, the, the projects that, that you're running seem to be based on a notion that that positive change is is very possible and you seem to be kind of uh, matters journal seems to be kind of shining the light towards good ways of thinking or, or just or just thoughtful ways to approach life business and so on definitely yeah i, I like i think design is a you know um it, it's a solution oriented discipline you know um coming up with with ways to solve problems i think and so i guess um yeah we, we always kind of come and come at things from that perspective and then you know love great great examples of people doing good things to to solve you know complex problems and there's there's no shortage of of uh big issues to to mm. tackle this has been a podcast from three triple r 102.7 fm in melbourne truly independent community radio want to hear more check out our website at rrr.org.au